Uh, well, anyway, travel's fun, though. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Are you enjoying traveling? Well, I was just away for a couple days again. Um, it just messes up your kind of productivity a little bit, I think. A couple of days you were in New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You always have thing? to kind of get restarted, you right, know? Right, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, so how is how is that that unga? How do you even say it? Because it seems to me someone someone somewhere, probably on Twitter, uh, characterized it as as a, like nerd prom on steroids. You know how they have the White House <laughs> correspondence dinner, and it's and that like I mean DC seems like it empties out to head up yeah, to New York. Well, so we had um, I, I don't know if you recall, but um, uh, me, John Hudson, and Nelly. Yeah, uh, we this is we co-host an annual unga party each year. This is year number three. Oh, I guess you never came to any of them or never cared or never was invited. <laughs> so, I see. I see um, how it is. Okay, so we actually, had, we actually had that last night. Okay. Yeah. Is yeah. it? Do you invite dignitaries? Yeah, I'm not even sure if I can say really? all the people who were there, but there was at least one person, at least one dignitary, one person who's extremely prominent and was not. Expected to show up, and is the it, fact that he did is it is it is Boutros Boutros Gali still alive? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, but it was a, a bunch of journalists, policy people, government types, um, and just also just like normal friends who don't care about Unga. So it was like a really good mix of people. Hmm. And this is a, an annual party. This is the well, party to. I will say that. Um, it's grown each year, and I think people have just been hyping it up. Where so, do you where do you host this? At Honor, we rent we rent a rooftop and just tell people to gather. Wow! And there were uh, there were a lot of people last night. <laughs> so you rent fun. a rooftop? This is this is a professional party. <laughs> I had no idea this goes on. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, that's nice. Yeah. So, yeah. but uh, which is to say that I guess I wasn't. Um, also, when I'm traveling, I don't like following the news very closely. Because I don't, I don't even know why exactly, but it just means that it's taken me a little bit of time to catch up with the impeachment right. stuff, and I'm, I'm, I still haven't been fully engaged on it, and that's why, you know, talking to you earlier, I was sort of debating, like, should we even be talking about this? But I suppose we have to at least touch on it, and it's odd for me, and I, I tweeted something to this effect um, earlier today that I. I'm just ambivalent. I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. I've been kind of passively absorbing the news and watching some videos. Like I watched that one clip between, uh, with Trump and the Ukrainian president and it was kind of fun. He made a joke. Yeah. Cause apparently he's a comedian. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Quite literally. <laughs> Quite literally a comedian. And it was kind of a funny joke. Um, and it, that he was speaking English too. Um, and Trump kind of laughed. I mean, we, I, I, I was in Ukraine, uh, at this conference, uh, a week and a half ago, and, uh, the, the new Zelensky was there, uh, sort of making his debut among, you know, the, the Western audience. This is sort of one of these, the big oligarch funded Western conference there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I have to say, uh, Zelensky is like Trump in the sense that, he is a, a modern politician. You can see that, you know, he is, he's really deft at communicating. He's really good at just playing, you know, what I think Trump is, is excels at just playing this game. Um, 
uh, you know, I, it's it's everyone was sort of speculating whether, uh, you know, he's a to be just sort of uh, to really dumb it down, whether he's a force for good or a, a force for evil or something like that. Yeah. But he's neither, I think, you know, I mean, he's just this uh, this guy who's very savvy, knows media very well. He's gotten to this place. Uh, he was helped by some unsavory oligarchs, but now he's going to be playing the game. And you know, so watching the the, the Trump Zelensky thing, I, my my bet was that that Zelensky would charm him because you know he's yeah. just that good. And it seems like seems like that's what happened. Yeah, they seem like they have a nice rapport. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, in a sense, like everyone was saying, I, I was saying uh, also that Macron, to a certain extent, is also this modern politician, but they don't gel that much. You know, like Macron still has a little bit of that old school, not fully. 21st century social media, Paul. Yeah. Whereas, like Trump and Zelensky are are there. Well, you Macron, know? I think, is is also too sophisticated. Yeah, yeah, that's dangerous. Very dangerous. That's right. <laughs> Alienate people. Yeah, um, but, yeah. But it's interesting that you know when you look at these different leaders who have recently been elected, and Ukraine is an example that people don't talk about all that much. But also, just the other week, um, Tunisia had its presidential elections, and someone who is sometimes seen as the Tunisian equivalent of Trump, um, came in, uh, uh, will be in the runoff and has a real chance of, of winning the whole thing. And he's actually in prison, which adds, which adds to the kind of, you know, it's kind of a bizarre situation. But in that sense, he's the ultimate populist because he's kind of campaigning from jail. It's amazing. Like how, like how badass is that? That's, that's amazing. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I mean, if you had told, if you had told someone in the eighties or nineties, you know, some theorist of democracy that this is what would be happening because it's clearly some sort of pattern, right? Like that, that, that a certain type in the, in the current modern uh, arrangement of things just has traction in democracies. Yeah. There's, they, it's, and it's, uh, it's everywhere. It's not, it's not, it's not a modern, it's not a, uh, sorry, a, a developed country phenomenon. It's not like a, it's everywhere. It literally yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. And, and so this, this Tunisian guy, Nabil Karawi, he's, um, he's a media mogul and businessman. So, you know, we, that seems to be the sweet spot yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and also someone who is rather corrupt. And that's part of the reason he's in, he's been in, in, in legal trouble. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like so Tunisia and also that we don't talk about the Arab world as much when we talk about populism. I mean, there are obviously Islamist movements, but they don't necessarily fit the populist mold in quite the same way that Western, Western populists do. So it's a little bit different. But it's interesting that you just look at these different examples and they're quite diverse. So Philippines, India, Israel, um, the most advanced Western democracies, the U.S., Brazil, these sort of very different countries. But in, in most of them, you have this certain kind of personality type that keeps on winning. So when, and that, that means that we can talk about Trump as being unique, um, you know, and that's, I think sometimes people say, we've talked about this before, the return to normalcy. Once Trump loses, then we're going to be a normal country again. But, you know, um, anyway. Yeah, yeah. 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 And now, and now it's the, the, the next sort of twist, uh, in the, in the popular saga. I mean, impeachment is, um, well, we ran an article today making the case that even from a constitutional standpoint, um, Impeachment without removal, uh, 
you know, perhaps the founders didn't mean it to be as rare uh, as it's proven to be throughout the history, that in fact the bar for impeachment is intentionally left reasonably low, but the bar for removal is is yeah. is, is very high, so that you know that perhaps we shouldn't be fretting so much about about uh, you know an overuse of impeachment. I I I don't know. I I uh, you know the articles by Gary Schmidt of AEI, and he he's I I, I didn't know this, but he was a uh, was a uh, I believe a constitutional scholar at. at uh, at University of Chicago. Um, and uh, he makes the case, uh, you know, uh, that one, that it's not a problem. But he also gives a uh, a nod to the reality that uh, overuse of this, you know, can also then impact the sort of vigor of the presidency, right? So that there is perhaps some sort of cost. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like you in the sense that, I mean, I have been sort of paying attention, but, but I'm numb to it. I'm numb to it all, you know? So... Uh, to a certain extent, the Trump news about Ukraine, especially because I was there in the region when uh, the funding was cut and then brought back in and everyone was scratching their heads. And from afar, it seemed like what Trump is being accused of is, in fact, what had happened. That's what it seemed like at the time. Yeah. Uh, and now that that there are these allegations and whistleblower things, um yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's quite plausible knowing what know the president and his sort of behavior. My my feeling on the impeachment thing is that um it's whatever the legality of it, uh it's it's really scummy what the allegations against Trump are. You know, if if it is what he did, I don't know, you know, uh whether that that crosses some sort of legal bar though again impeachment's not a strictly legal thing um but it's it's uh it's really it's it's degrading somehow it it feels like it it passed a certain kind of threshold of trump has degraded himself by this to if if it's true uh but, that that just i was just like ah okay and i tweeted you know go for it not under some sort of uh assumption that um you know, this would resolve itself to uh, Democrats' benefit or, you know, or the Republicans. I have no idea how this plays out. It's too complicated. But when you say if it's true, I mean, in some sense, we do know part of what's true because we have the transcript and that seems pretty bad, right? Is that, uh, how would you? Yeah, right. I mean, not good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to quote a famous man. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, but at the same time, uh, and again, though, Others were, were writing this, you know, the, the outlines of the story have been known for, for a bit, for yeah. quite a bit. Uh, so now we have, you know, the whistleblower and the, 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 the transcript part of it. Um, but then again, you know, it, it comes down to the question of, of, uh, um, you know, was this, how, how much of an explicit quid pro quo was this? Uh, or was it, was it, you know, that sort of gangstery kind of, of threatening? Again, I, I, I think, I think the United States comes out looking really shabby in all of this, and we have our president to thank for that. Um, I don't, I don't know beyond that, and I don't know, uh, that's not what I'm basing my go for impeachment on. Uh, but yeah, that's my, my feeling at the moment. Yeah. So as I've been, as I've been kind of mulling this over the past few hours, like, what do I really feel about this? beyond my sort of um, default ambivalence. like So part of my ambivalence has to do with the fact that this debate, which seems all-consuming, I mean, it, 
it was everything on Twitter and everyone was talking about it. It felt to me that it's pushing us back as, as, as has happened many times under Trump to a very small debate, the smallness of partisan, like everyone's going to have a predictable position for the most part. And there's no, there's no ideas. There's no, there's nothing that's intellectually satisfying about any of this debate. And it goes into, it it just, we're going to be in this swamp of impeachment and proceedings and inquiries for like the next God knows how long. And it's going to sully the, it's going to muddy the waters. It's going to sully everyone who's involved. The thing about Trump is, he knows how to bring people down. Um, and it's, it's going to be ugly if it continues. And it just, I almost felt this, um, this preemptive exhaustion that I'm almost like stealing myself for, for, for what we're going to see over the next, um, the next few months or the rest of Trump's entire, the rest of Trump's term, really. So that's, that's one thing. But I would also say that. I'm also someone who has just generally been very uncomfortable with the idea of impeachment for, um, on philosophical grounds, which we don't really have to go into a lot, but just very briefly, I'll say that, um, I think impeachment makes sense in a normal, not hyper partisan environment, because then you could sort of expect that it wouldn't be completely politicized and it wouldn't be completely partisan. I think impeachment becomes inherently problematic when it falls almost entirely on partisan lines because that means the results of impeachment are not going to be, they're not going to be seen as legitimate one way or the other. Um, it's going to be seen as one party attacking the other. And, and that's not to say that that's how I view it. I think that this is the first time where I feel Trump has actually done something that seems to me to be legitimately impeachment friendly. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all the, all the other stuff seemed, um, pretty problematic to me. Um, the Mueller probe, I had major issues with it. Um, you know, uh, ultimately what was about, you know, obstruction of justice more than, more than collusion and co- the kind of, um, the maximalist claims of collusion fell short. Um, you know, so that was that, but this is actually something which seems very corrupt. There seems to be a quid pro quo. Um, Trump is using the office ostensibly to attack or undermine a political opponent. It's like, it's like, you know, um, it's third world shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if we're supposed to even say stuff like that anymore. No, that's but. right. That's right. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's gangster shit yeah. really is what it is. You know, it's, it's not, I mean, fine third world, but what it really is, it's, it's, it's New York mob shit is what it is, right? It's, it's like, I'm not asking you. I'm just asking you to do me a favor, buddy. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the language he's using in this stuff. It's like, do me a favor. Just talk to, talk to my guys. You know, don't, there's no problem here. Oh, and then, you know, and, and the funding's held up. Not, not explicitly, but you know, you know, you understand that I'm holding a gun in my hand. You know, yeah. I don't have to talk about the gun that I'm holding in my hand. It's, it's, it's that. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's gross. Yeah. And it's degrading, really as you said. Yeah. That said, so do I think Trump potentially deserves or, does he potentially deserve to be impeached? 
My answer to that would be, yeah, this seems like a legitimate thing to have an inquiry over, right? But that is, that doesn't mean I support impeachment. So I have this, I'm, I'm sort of in this weird middle, like this weird in between space that on the merits, I get it. And if I was a Democratic, um, Congress person, there's no doubt that I would say yes to, um, an impeachment inquiry or at least proceeding along this path. And, you know, let's see where this takes us, right? Yeah. yeah. How could you not? If you're a Democrat and you see this kind of behavior, um, you know, if not now, when, right? How that said, as, as someone who is not, um, a particularly partisan person and is not a Democratic Congress person, and someone who's an analyst and trying to look at what are the implications for our country and our politics. I don't like where this takes us and nothing, nothing great comes out of it because Trump will not actually be removed from office. So there will be this long, arduous proceeding that further polarizes the country and like pisses everyone off and everyone's going to be tweeting their boring, um, predictable takes 24 seven. And then for what? For what end? And Trump is going to use it. He's going to try to use it to his benefit to rally his base and say, look, they will stop at nothing to get rid of me. And um, his base doesn't see this, presumably will not see this as being particularly a problematic behavior. And, you know, it's sort of like Trump being Trump. It seems worse than usual. At the same time, it's the kind of thing that you would expect Trump to do. Yeah. No, look, I, I just latch on to something you said earlier about, you know, uh, uh, Democrats, if you were a Democratic congressperson, that, you know, you'd feel compelled to do this because oversight, because it seems properly corrupt and ultimately because it's an investigation. Um, you, you, and you also said, as an analyst, I look at this sort of stuff. You know, I'm finding myself personally uh, increasingly not thinking about things in terms of if only X or Y would happen, we'd be in a better place. But more sort of taking uh, Z as given and seeing what the what does this imply for the future. And I mean, I I think you have to uh, you have to, and you've written about this as well. I just embrace the fact that a certain kind of partisanship is is here to stay, um, and then think about what do our politics look like as a result of all of this. Um, and again, going back to that Gary Schmidt article, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe impeachment becomes a, a feature of our politics more. Uh, and again, you know, uh, to your point, you said, uh, investigation, um, and, and, and impeachment, but not removal. I mean, I think removal is highly unlikely unless they find, I don't, I, I can't even imagine given the kind of partisanship we have right now, what it would take for, for removal. So if you he just, shot someone on Fifth Avenue, if perhaps, he, if like, if he like, with his own hands, like strangled someone, yeah, yeah, on like the New York subway or right. something. But like honestly, like even then, but okay, he'd probably have his. He'd probably have defenders. Like so, he, the guy deserved it. So, so the point being that 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 if that's the case, right? Uh, well, then you know, oversight and or uh, doing this. What so impeachment now becomes a, a feature of our politics. Now you're right that Trump's going to utilize this. He's he's this is this is the the. Uh, uh, the muck he swims in most comfortably, right? And it's, this is the way he fights and this is, this is good for him in some way. Okay. Um, also something that I think we need to now at, well, we, uh, or political actors now need to calculate in as they, as they think of what they're doing, right? So for example, uh, Democrats will see 
how this plays out. And if this is now a feature of politics, presumably Republicans will learn from it as well. And this will be a part of, of, of something that now happens, right? Is it good? No. Um, at the same time, you know, I mean, we do have this constitutional arrangement that's proven pretty durable, uh, is pretty flexible about how power gets distributed between federal and state, you know, uh, how these shifts happen. Um, I, I, it, it's ultimately, it's all very interesting to me. You know, if I can, if I can take a step back, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna-ish about this. Um, but I, I, you know, that, that, that resignation you were talking about to the news that you're not, you know, because you were traveling, you weren't paying that much attention. I have a different kind of resignation now. It's like, okay, impeach, bring it on. Let's see. Let's see what happens because it really feels, at this point, like it's inevitable. Like, right. and maybe, maybe even it was always inevitable. Um, given Trump's proclivities, given the political realities, I think that the argument, let's not do it because it's too dangerous, uh, would breed a whole nother set of pathologies within the Democratic Party of, you know, uh, uh, recriminations and retributions. Of course, you can never, you can never play back, a, a, a you know, you can never, test of what would have happened if they didn't impeach him or if they don't end up impeaching him. But uh, now that it's done, at least, I think a certain a certain sort of um, uh, lust will have been slaked one way or the other, even if he doesn't get uh, kicked out of office. Uh, yeah, but and then, that's good, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, so you said that we have to take... So you, you talked about how we have to take take certain things as given now. Okay, so if we take the level of partisan divide as a given, like, does impeach, I guess it goes back to my original point, does impeachment make sense if it's completely partisan and politicized? Like, it, should it, I don't think it was designed, well, in some ways it was designed for very problematic and bad presidents. So obviously it does apply to the Trump era in that respect. But, you know, my understanding is that impeachment was seen as a way, there was, there was a perception that Repub, well, obviously not then Republicans or Democrats, but the parties, whatever the factional interests were in, in government were in Congress, that they would, um, that they would come together for the good of the country and there would be some kind of statesmanship that was assumed. So I don't think the founders would have ever imagined that you could have a completely lopsided impeachment vote where no Republicans support impeachment for Trump, but all Democrats do potentially, which could theoretically happen. I mean, remember though, the founders didn't, didn't foresee parties and, and, and hated the idea of factions. But factional right? interest, they certainly saw that as a, as a right. risk. But, but, but I'm saying is like, we, we, we're, we're way past the Rubicon of what the founders actually thought the Republic would look like, right? And, and it's changed so much, even after the Civil War, the changes that have, that, that have been wrought. I, I mean, I take your point, uh, but I, at the same time, that, you know, quasi originalist argument. I, it, it doesn't, that, that bothers yeah. me less at this point. Okay. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's a very different country than at the founding. And, you know, it's a, it's a certain kind of muddling through. I'm not, not worried. Um, but maybe it's, maybe it's just fatigue. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and it's fatigue. It's fatigue, uh, 
at how things are going and, you know, the, the, the accelerant that Trump is in all of this as well, you know? Um, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay. But, but, but if, but if the founders saw impeachment as an elite process where, um, statesmen, acted for the good of the country and rose above whatever partisan or political interest they might have. And that's how they envisioned impeachment. Let's, if, let's say they did the, let's, let's imagine a scenario where they saw what might happen to, you know, 200 years, you know, 200 plus years later. Um, what would make more sense for our moment? Um, what would be a better system of addressing these issues? And I think that, you know, a parliamentary system would make a lot more sense in the kind of context we're in because you could have no confidence votes. You could have snap elections. You wouldn't have to necessarily wait four years. Um, you know, uh, because if, if impeachment is actually impossible in the sense that it will never reach the level of removal, then impeachment actually doesn't do a whole lot. And if, if that is actually what we have to think about as like, how do you design a political system? In the current system that we're in, it's impossible to get rid of presidents after they're elected because of the level of partisanship. One party, like two parties will never agree probably for the rest of our lives. Um, so, so then we're in a situation where presidential systems are, they're just not really aligned to our aligned with our moment and what I think the moment requires. Anyway, I'm just in kind of thinking out loud. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, it's it's uh, we we ran an essay by Frank Fukuyama. Uh, it was around the time that I guess Volume Two of his uh, two books was coming out. Now I can't off the top of my head remember when that was, but it was it was many years ago. Um, and uh, I, I just remember the conclusion of it was along the lines of your musings right here. Um, Saying that, I mean, almost verbatim what you said, right? That, that, uh, uh, what we need is, is what would be, we'd be much better, better served by, uh, a parliamentary system and, you know, votes of no confidence, more reactive, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it says, but then he, he ends it basically, but we don't have that. Yeah. Therefore we have a problem yes. because, <laughs> because again, it's one of those things. We're not, we're, we're in no imaginable world will we ever have a parliamentary system. It's, I mean, the imaginary, the imaginary world is another American revolution that we have a new constitutional convention. There's no way you could amend this, what we have, into anything approaching a parliamentary system, right? And, and therefore, uh, uh, and again, it's, it's the fact that the constitution is such holy writ in America. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it Oh, you'd it have to have a, a completely radical transformation. Yeah. I mean, but it, you know, it could happen in 2070 after the second American civil well, war. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. You'd need that. Oh, just Which, for our listeners, that's a reference to, um, a dystopian novel. That's just not me. That's like, not, that's not even that's not for like, our <laughs> listeners. That's for me as well. <laughs> what dystopian novel? I have no it's idea. It's called what American about. War. Oh. Um, it's actually one of my favorite novels of the past few years, but so essentially, and I, I was also reading a very, um, uh, alarmist, but I, I think rightfully alarmist um, article about climate change today that literally entire cities by like around 2050 or even 2070 or something like that 
are going to be underwater, and that's going to have political implications because the rich or those with means will be able to actually respond to these threats by relocating or building, like, I don't know, walls or whatever. But it's actually the poorest neighborhoods that also oftentimes are the most vulnerable to climate change. And you see, there's also a kind of economic class component. So it's not just climate change, but there's going to be economic class and, and even probably ideological overlap. Anyway, um, you saw that with Katrina, right? I mean, New Orleans, yeah. it was all the poor neighborhoods got yeah, totally exactly. screwed. Yeah. So what, what that means is, you know, if parts of America are actually disappearing, like we can't even imagine, we can't even imagine how bad things might, things might get, um, you know, 50 or 60 years from now. And that's where you could have some kind of revolutionary moment where the political map is completely changed. Um, but what happens in American War, the novel, is that um, there is, as the title suggests, um, a second civil war. Um, and, um, you know, and I think that it would actually require a war um, to change the political system, which is to say that I actually don't hope we get a parliamentary system because the only way we'd probably right. get it yeah, that's right. is if there was some post-war reconstruction or re um, reordering of the political system. Yeah, a new constitutional convention of some sort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. or even for one, let's say there are two Americas because there's a kind of secession situation, then you could have, you know, one of them has a president and the other, which might be the more left-leaning one, is like, oh, let's, let's you know, this is our chance to create a parliamentary system from scratch and do something new. Um, you know, whatever. You know, but I, the only... To, to, to be fair, it's not just presidential systems that are facing crisis right now or facing real problems. Now, I mean, you might argue that, 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 uh, you know, the fact that a lot of these countries in Europe are proving to be ungovernable is not as much of a problem as the inability to, you know, depose a, a an obviously corrupt president. But I don't know. Is that true? You know, is it true? The yeah, fact it's a good that like, point. like parliamentary systems don't work all that well either. They're like, not working that well right now. Yeah. In any case, is you have you're having this fracturing. It's it's expressing itself differently. Instead of this this polarization, you're getting you're getting unworkable unworkable fractured party systems uh, with these these sort of strange coalitions that that don't really agree on much. You know, formed minority governments left and right. Uh, lack of legitimacy. One feels. I don't know. Uh, is yeah, is, is, is that the panacea? It's a good point. And one thing I do like about presidential systems, just to sort of undermine my own point, um, because you know when you actually think think about it, there are there are always going to be pros and cons with, with each with with any potential system. And I, I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but one thing I do like about polarized presidential systems. Is that one party will always balance the other and do like the exact opposite. So if Trump does something terrible or takes the Republican party in a certain direction, you can count on Democrats to just completely mirror the opposite. Right. So, and that's, that's good, you know, from uh, speaking as a person of color. Right. As a Muslim minority in America, I like or even love in some ways the fact that whatever the fault of Democrats or the Democratic party as a party, at least I know that for for my community, in quotation marks, Democrats have our back. Why? Because the most effective way to signal 
or to display your anti-Trump credentials is by doing the opposite. And if Trump doesn't like Muslims or hates Islam, and he literally said, well, he didn't say he hates Islam, but he said, I think Islam hates us, which doesn't make any sense. Right. Because Islam... It's not a person. Not a person, but hey, whatever. <laughs> but um, but what that means is that Democrats are going to go out of their way. And that that gives me a sense of security where I don't think you have that in Europe because... In most European parliamentary systems, there isn't one party that really goes out of its way to embrace Muslims. Like everyone kind of has at least some issue right. with Muslims to different degrees, obviously. Um, and I think that that's one interesting feature of, of two party systems or two and a half party systems or whatever. Um, and I think the same thing for other disadvantaged minorities. I mean, uh, is it, are Democrats great for, um, for, for African Americans in terms of actual policies? People can debate that from a kind of very analytical standpoint. But at least Democrats see themselves as the party that should, um, protect the rights, um, or, or express the grievances of, of African Americans or Hispanics and so on. So even if they're not good at what they do in policy terms, and that's, they're at least, there's at least an aspirational component that we are the party that should do whatever we can to, to protect these groups and so on. Anyway, so that's at least, that's, that's at least one positive byproduct of the Trump era. Yeah. Yeah. Now the question is, 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 uh, um, yeah, where does this all lead? It's just, there's a, there's a, this, this, this feeling that it's, um, that it's careening down some some direction that's uh, I don't know unpredictable and yeah add 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 your nightmare scenarios about climate change that you know won't won't hit us all at once it's just it's it's uh, um, an increasing pressure vector on all of this uh, if if uh, you know you you just have more more of these climate events that are un, you know unmitigatable. Uh, and you're just creating a, a permanently vulnerable underclass that that will have political repercussions for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I just I wanted to share this line um, from this climate change uh, article I was reading. Yeah. Um, it was like a um, so they're descri- they're describing what Miami will be in 2070. Um, so this is this is um, this is the quote about Miami. What was once a vibrant city is now a scuba diving destination for intrepid historians and dis- and disaster tourists. So this is, that's, you know, um, I should have done that better. <laughs> that was, that's fine. It that's wasn't, fine. that wasn't, I, I wanted to like deliver that. I just, I couldn't, whatever. Want to deliver it again? That, yeah, yeah. Let's, because you can edit this, I right? I can edit oh, this. Oh, wow. Up. Oh, my yeah. God. Okay. So, Demir, I was reading this article. Yeah. In the New York Times, the climate change one, and there was like this really good line where the author is like imagining what, what, um, he or she, I don't know. I don't want to presume the gender oh of the author. Yeah. Oh boy. This is a disaster. Disaster. <laughs> that, um, so like in 2070, this is what we'll say, um, about Miami, quote unquote, what was once a vibrant city is now a scuba diving destination for intrepid historians and disaster tourists. Yeah. That's dark. It is dark. dark. Yeah. Um, I, you know, yeah. Um, can I just say one more thing about impeachment go before? On. Cause I, like, yeah, before this just goes off the rails and we start talking about like Miami or whatever. Sure. 
Um, and we talked, I think we've also talked about this before. So it's going to, it's probably going to be a recurring theme because I think we both have, a, we're concerned about questions of legitimacy, right? Right. So if a precedent is set that impeachment becomes a regular thing, and if Democrats do, um, do move forward with this and it gets pretty advanced, then, um, we can imagine that Republicans will return the favor and will remember this as like, Hey, this was a quote unquote witch hunt. We're going to do the same with any Democratic president and we're going to have investigations. Even if we can't find anything that is going, there's going to be like a partisan witch hunt all the time perpetually. I, you know, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I, I wrote something on this to a certain extent. This has been the case since the end of the Cold War. Oh, it's, yeah. You did write something about that. Yeah. And did. it's, 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 uh, um, there was a little bit for HW. There was a, a break by the end of Clinton's term. They did them. Um, there was a lot of talk of doing Bush, and if not Bush directly, of going after staffers, John Yoo, uh, about torture, stuff like that. We had a brief respite because Obama was so clean and, you know, not to be funny, but unimpeachable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's a, oh, my God. But, but, uh, um, um, but now we're back into, we're back into the dynamic, it feels like. I, so again, that, that also sort of makes me feel a little more at ease with this to a certain extent. I, it's, it's, there's something about, about, uh, Trump's America that makes it feel like we are living in end times. But a lot of this stuff has been in the mail. And, but not, but not like, not at the level of questioning the legitimacy of democratic outcomes. Like people would talk about impeachment with Bush, but, Bush's first election was an example of where you could actually have a legitimate argument that he was not legitimately elected. But even then, Democrats really kind of backed down from that legitimacy challenge. And regretted it ever since. And that's another thing. I mean, it's been a question. That's, that, that was the argument that I was making. The fact that like we've been, we've been, not, you're right. It's, it's not, it's not the same thing. I, like I said, it's been in yeah. the mail, but we've been questioning the legitimacy of democratic outcomes largely since the, the fall of the Soviet Union, on a partisan basis. Um, witch hunts. Again, we've, we've, we've been there, you know? Uh, I'm not saying it's not worse. It is worse. I'm not saying, oh, yawn, more of the same. But it's, it, it certainly feels like, um, like we're not really necessarily breaking brand new ground. Uh, we're perhaps breaking ground in, in, novel and more troubling ways, but the ground's been broken already or at least softened up. Yeah. Um, and we're just sort of, you know, turning, turning the earth a little bit more vigorously now. What was the name of that essay? Was that the classic one called America the Erratic? No. Thank you. But no. Uh, it was the one Was this the other classic essay, Making Monsters to Destroy Them? Nope. Not that one either, Shadi. <laughs> but thank you again. <laughs> No, no, was no in, that's really for the benefit of our dear listeners. They, you know, they should know the essay titles. Oh, we, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes <laughs> if you like. But, but no, I, I, it was, it was an essay in Medium and I don't remember the name of it. Uh, um, but that was the argument that, that. Oh, that, yeah. I remember the Medium essay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was a really good one. Yeah. The argument was basically that, that, yeah, the, the fact of Trump distorts our, our, our ability to appreciate how, how deep rooted and sort of historically conditioned a lot of these, these problems are. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Um, 
maybe I'll be more worried um, tomorrow or next week. But um, hey, it won't be boring. Say that much. Yeah, but I I don't I want to be bored. I don't want to. I'm just tired. I guess like I'm just at this point in my life where I just want to chill. Yeah, I want to hang out and just like you know drink I, martinis. <laughs> <laughs> I want to like I want to. I, I wanna, and we've talked about like, I wanna move away from the reactive analysis. But Shadi, qu- quit Twitter, honestly. I, that's no, one of the, no, but, but I haven't quit it. I haven't quit it. You know, I haven't quit it. And I, we keep coming back to this, but I am really, really on it a lot less. Every week, it's just, it, it feels better. It really does feel better. And honestly, it's, it's, it's healthier because you can, you can sort of take the slightly longer view of, of these things if you're not on it. Um, I don't know. But we can't completely, so like you on the New York Times homepage or you talk to friends, like we can't completely escape this. And I, you know, here's a question, like, is it, in some sense, it's intellectually interesting because we're talking about it, but the more kind of procedural aspects that we're going to be focusing on, like how does impeachment work? What's going to happen? Which Republicans will Republic, will one Republican support impeachment? Or how many Democrats are signing on, like kind of boring procedural questions. And it's a lot of this, like, what's the state of play kind of analysis? Yeah. Which is how unfortunate I think a lot of, a lot of news coverage is, especially in campaign season. And like, this isn't intellectually interesting. Right. And I wish we could just like take a step back and like talk about national conservatism conferences that are happening at the Ritz. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we did that. We had that moment. <laughs> Episode one. <laughs> Episode one. No, I'm saying, I mean, we, we had that moment. I don't think that's, that's going away. I guess, I guess the, the, um, the last couple of weeks, again, I've been traveling too. Uh, I, you know, I feel like when you're traveling, you're less inclined to spend much time on Twitter. I, yeah, I would just totally. to check in, but you're just like, ah, whatever. Um, I don't know. I've been back, what, like, it's been like maybe a full week at this point. Um, and I found that 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 oddly enough, just push notifications from the news services. They they're sort of like tweets. I sometimes don't click through to read the whole article. I get the headline. So I mean, do I really need Maggie Haberman tweeting the headline at me with some sort of you know like snark attached to it? <laughs> I kind of don't. And then I don't kind of need a bunch of people commenting on the fact that Maggie Haberman, Haberman's being snarky on Twitter. I, you know what I mean? And I don't even, I, I don't know why I brought up Maggie Haberman. I don't even follow her, but like, but the, 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 it's, 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 it's that thing that I feel very safe cutting out of my life. I, you know what I'd like? I'd like Twitter with just your friends. You know, I, I'm curious, like, it's helpful to me to see how you're reacting to certain things. And that's what I looked at earlier. Like, oh, Demir was tweeting X, Y, or Z, or like, what like our friend Ben Haddad is tweeting. I'm curious, what does Ben think, even though I saw him last night? Yeah. Like what does he think about impeachment, you know? So you know, um, there's this thing called Twitter lists. <laughs> you can create <laughs> you can create like subsets of Twitter and then ignore the rest of it. You know what? I should totally like use Twitter that way. You really should. I mean yeah. it's I, I had set up certain sort of uh people that I care about basically on the right and on the left. I've I've created lists like that. Um, I didn't use them that much. Uh, there's the other service, which is kind of neat. The user interface is kind of crap, but it's called Nuzzle. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. It just like surfaces the news stories and sort of relegates the commentary and stuff oh. sort of to the background. So you can see what's trending on Twitter in a way, but not just trending on Twitter, but what's trending among the people you follow, which is interesting. And then you can see 
who's commented on it. You can click through and then see what oh, they're saying yeah, if you're maybe, interested in okay. it. But it, it totally inverts it. So you're not, it, it takes the, the, the burden off of you sifting through the noise and the, the cacophony of people just, you know, uh, one upping each other and then trying to figure out what this underlying story is. It surfaces a story and then you can sort of ignore the other stuff if you're not in the mood. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, uh. Okay. Then I'm going to also have to create a Catholic Twitter list because I yeah. love Catholic Twitter. Yeah. That's like my go to. Yeah. Like honestly, like I, I love internal Christian debates. Oh, and actually that's one of the, that's, that's actually the main reason I was in New York. I, w- I was speaking to a group of, um, young Christian leaders mm. at the Philos Project. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, they're one of their annual, um, conferences and, um, I don't know where I'm going with that, except to say that, um, I, I, even though like I was the, you know, uh, I think I was probably the only Muslim in the room. I, you know, I, I felt it was like really to like be immersed in, in, in the debates that other communities are having. Yeah. And you're almost like a fly on the wall. And if you're trusted and respected, then people, they're still comfortable saying what they would normally say with their fellow, you know, Christian friends and colleagues and all that. And I just, I, I find that like really fulfilling. And I think that Twitter can sometimes replicate that experience of these subcultures that are engaging in these insular conversations that seem rather bizarre to anyone who's not plugged in. But if you're interested in that, you can really learn a lot. Yeah. And that's one reason I find Twitter really useful and even enlightening because you have access to subcultures you, you generally wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, no, no, fair enough. Uh, though, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the Tyler Cowen's uh, article about about uh, uh, sort of Catholic integralism. Oh, no. I saw you tweeting that, though, right? Or yeah, you saw, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm going to take mean, a look at that. Have a look at it. It's, 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 it's kind of savage in that deadpan Tyler Cowen way. Um, oh, speaking of which, also, um, uh, I think that uh, the folks, the good folks at Philos, um, we had the kind of conference dinner on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And I go to my table and everyone, like the name tags are assigned to particular seats. So I'm like, oh, there's my name tag. Who am I sitting next to? And what do I find but Sohrab Ahmari's oh. name tag right next to mine? Did it he was, show up? Yeah, we oh. we had a really nice conversation. Hmm. Um, had you met Sora before? We we know each other just on Twitter and email, um, and we talked on the phone once. But I had never seen him in real life. But it's weird that I'm like, I feel like I know him, and we feel like we know each other, and we know quite a bit about each other, and our like our backgrounds and why you know part of why we think the things that we think. Um, but anyway, just speaking of Catholic integralism. Um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we should have an episode where we, we talk more about some aspects of that. Um, but, um. But so, I mean, have you ever encountered, I mean, Sorov's not, not your Twitter enemy. Have you encountered a Twitter enemy in real life? And oh, yeah, them? yeah. Like people who I've had contentious relationships with or yeah. they've said something mean. Yeah. Or even worse, they've subtweeted me. Oh, the worst. In a very kind of dis, you know, disrespectful, snarky way. Yeah. Then they kind of like, then you see them at like a party or a dinner or something and they know that you know, but they're not a hundred percent sure. Right. And it can, it can be tense. Yeah. Yeah. Has it ever worked out positively in the sense that you're like, oh, well. Hmm, well, I can, um, hmm. I feel that when you, um, when you actually 
sit, I try to, I try to be open to having a conversation, even if it's been tense yeah. or conflictual previously. I'm open to that changing. Like I'm not a big grudge person because that just takes a lot of energy. Yeah. I don't even have like to be angry at people for a long time, even to like block a lot of people on Twitter. You have to have a certain level of energy that I'm simply not able to sustain. You know, that's so, so I don't, I just don't care enough. Like to block someone, you have to care enough about them. And I, I don't care enough. You know, what's the sweet spot. Muting people. Muting. Oh my god, I love muting. I, I think I feel like I, I I I may have muted half the people I follow. <laughs> I've blocked no one. I've just like it, all it takes is is maybe like two or three bad days where you're like you annoy yeah. me and I just mute them. They Honestly, don't know they're muted. I don't know. I forget they're muted. You forget. Yeah. And it's great. Honestly, I, it makes it makes me happier about Twitter. I I literally have a policy unless it's like an egg. I I generally have a policy of not blocking anyone. Um, and also there's, there's self-interest involved here. I don't want to give them the privilege or luxury even of not being able to be pissed off by what, what I'm tweeting. Because if I block them, they won't be able to be pissed off at me. That's why you mute. Yeah. Mute. It's perfect. Like, why would you, why would you literally want your quote unquote enemy? To not be triggered by your tweets on right. a somewhat regular basis. That's, that's actually what I want to happen. So it's completely counterproductive and self-defeating. Here you are, Mr. Postpartisan. <laughs> Mr. We're too, we're too divided as a country talking about how much you, you desire to trigger people. I at least want people to be exposed to my bad ideas. <laughs> at the very least. At the very least, indeed. Anyway, Demir, I think I have to run. Yeah, fair Folks. enough. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, let's pick this up. We we didn't ta- uh, touch on things that you had promised oh, our dear audience last week. That oh my god. So we were supposed to talk about um, the experience of exile. That's correct. That's number one. Yeah. And just so our our dear listeners know, when we were talking about what we would want to talk about today, we said impeachment would be like part of it, but then we'd move on to something very quickly. And just as like a little teaser. We were going to talk about Richard Holbrook and yeah. the book that um, George Packer wrote, which both Demir and I have been reading, which is called um, "Our Man." Yeah, the the life and times of and tragedy of Richard Holbrook or something like that. But and the end of the American century. Oh, that's, the other oh, that's thing. Oh, it's yeah. a very good subtitle. That yeah. is true, um, and that gets us into a lot of things about uh, democracy promotion abroad, uh, abroad. What does it mean? To, to, um, be American abroad and, and all that kind of nice stuff that, um, we will hopefully talk about at some point soon. Yeah. So don't forget it. Let's, uh, let's pencil it okay, in. For I, next okay. Time I'm around. writing it down in capital. Holbrook. Yeah. Holbrook. Exiles. Exiles. Those two. And then we're good. Yeah. All right, Shadi. Okay. Thanks good for having talking. me, Demir. Yeah. See you. Talk, talk soon. Talk to you soon.